State and local officials are having to rapidly embrace a 24-7 digital world, putting connectivity as the number one focus for government today. iConstituent is on a mission to help you digitize constituent services with the first platform designed specifically for the elected official that values one-to-one personal engagement. See for yourself how their texting outreach tools are making a positive impact during the pandemic, from the city of Los Angeles to the halls of the U.S. Congress. Leverage the included data set of constituent phone numbers to share the latest community updates on COVID-related regulations and assist constituents with breaking through the red tape so they can get the critical assistance they need. Visit iConstituent.com to access recent case studies and get started with 5,000 free text messages at no cost. Again, that's iConstituent.com. Welcome to An Honorable Profession, a podcast giving America hope since 2018. I'm your host, Ryan Coonerty. As you hopefully know by now, An Honorable Profession is a New Deal Leaders podcast. The New Deal is an amazing organization that supports the next generation of American leaders. I've been a New Dealer for years, both when I was mayor of Santa Cruz and now as a Santa Cruz County Supervisor. I hope you check out some of our past episodes with guests like Wisconsin Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes, Tennessee Senator Ramesh Akberi, and Montgomery Mayor Stephen Reed. As always, you can find us at newdealleaders.org, wherever podcasts are found. Today, I talk with Louisville Mayor Greg Fisher. He's a new dealer that so many of us look to for both innovation, but also for his compassionate approach to governance. He's a successful entrepreneur, and as mayor, he's grown jobs and opportunity while also addressing racial injustice. Lately, he's been at the center of a storm with the coronavirus, its economic fallout, and the killings of Breonna Taylor and David McAtee by police. We talk about how he and his community are responding, his new role as the president of the U.S. Conference of Mayors, and his inspiring vision for America. Mayor Greg Fisher. Welcome back to An Honorable Profession. You're our first two-time guest, uh, and it's always, always a pleasure to talk to you. You're a leader in thinking about how cities can respond to the many challenges our communities face. And, uh, and I want to start by just checking in and seeing how you're doing. Uh, you, like few others, are having your leadership really tested right now. You're managing a health crisis, an economic crisis and the tragedies of Breonna Taylor and David McAtee. How are you and Louisville doing? Well, thanks, Ryan, for having me back. Always a pleasure to chat with you. Yeah, mayors are being tested all over America like never before when you put all of those issues together. And, of course, we've had our own tragedies, as you mentioned, with Breonna Taylor and David McAtee here. You know, that's on top of the national unrest as people are realizing all of the racial injustice that's taken place over the past four centuries in America, I'm optimistic about that, that finally uh, big parts of white America, white Louisville are waking up and understanding all of the inequity and all of the damage to society that racism has done, whether it be institutionalized or whether it be individualized. So when I look, you know, six months, a year, five years out from right now, I'm very hopeful that this is going to be a transition point for our country. Uh, when you think about the uh, Kerner Commission report uh, written 
wrote, written in 1968 after riots in 67. Uh, if you read that today, Ryan, it was like it was written a month ago. So we had a chance as a country to get this right uh, based on seminal events before, but we really dropped the ball. And a lot of mayors have been working and ran for office like I did for kind of justice and opportunity for everybody. Uh, now I hope is a real time that we can get on top of that. But responding to all this in real time, whether it be the, the pandemic, whether it be the recession, whether it be the marches for justice, and then the emotion around uh, Brianna's case and David's case here, uh, has definitely been the biggest challenge of, uh, we've had in my nine and a half years of our administration. But we've got a good team. We're prepared for this moment. And uh, we're just kind of the calm in the storm, I hope, because there's high emotions on all sides of this, whether it be the uh, marchers or whether it be uh, police advocates, law enforcement advocates. So navigating through all that, it is impossible to keep everybody happy, uh, but we just want to make sure people see forward movement. And how do you, when you wake up every day, how do you figure out what to prioritize? Um, Because you are managing three or four major crises and running a city in the best of times is not easy. Um, so how do you, how do you decide how you're going to spend your time and energy and um, how, and you know, how do you, how do you also have the conversations that need to be had, which are difficult conversations in this country? Yeah, so our city population is close to 800,000, so there's plenty to do, both in terms of keeping the city going on a day-to-day basis and then responding to the uh, issues of the moment. So I've always kind of looked at uh, our ability to improve here based on the quality of a plan that we have and then our ability to react. And so depending on what's happening in in the city on any given day depends on what percentage of your time you're going to be in the reactive mode. Uh, There's no question that over this past, I guess, three months or so, starting with the pandemic, there's been disproportionately large amount of time spent on reaction. You know, then you throw the economy in there and the racial justice marches in there. Uh, There's more like in the moment type of decisions that need to be made. But one thing that's common throughout all of it is listening, listening, listening uh, to hear what people's fears are and hear what people's hopes are. Uh, The past month in particular with the uh, marches that really ramped up after the George Floyd case, uh, high emotion uh, in America and certainly in my city as well. So getting people to kind of unpack those emotions so that you can have forward movement around, that's not a formula. Right? I mean, everybody comes to that place at a different point in time. Uh, so listening has been really important. And, and as a public official, too, just recognizing that you're kind of the face of an administration or the man. And uh, while a lot of us ran for office to run against the man, you know, you are the man now. Uh, but a lot, lot of a uh, lot of listening and reacting. And we've changed a lot of things, too, especially as, in, as it relates to police reform. The uh, Breonna Taylor uh, tragedy surfaced a lot of opportunities for improvement. Uh, we, uh, we banned no-knock warrants in the community. Uh, we've made some changes in our body camera policies. We've, you know, put duty to intervene on use of force, things like that. So, you know, oftentimes it makes, uh, takes moments to make you better. And unfortunately, tragic moments sometimes really put the spotlight on that, but you can't run away from it. Um, you know, I don't represent any one interest group, whether it be, 
police officers or healthcare providers or protesters. You know, my job is to look at the entire city and try to do the most good for the most amount of people uh, with and being balanced as we do that, but always addressing issues around justice. And I, yeah, I want to dive into that. Emotions are running high right now, and the primary emotions we're really seeing are fear and anger and frustration, uh, much of it justified. Um, and one of the things I've always been impressed about your leadership is although you're a businessman and data-driven and performance-driven in governance, you've, you've, you've been a leader in talking about compassion and other, you know, using your heart as well as your mind in both government and in sort of civic life. How do you bring compassion in when, um, you know, the feelings of those, those other emotions which tend to drive people away from compassion? How are you trying to, to rebuild or uh, remind people of compassion in these difficult times? Yeah, no, all the time. You know, and I've said before, to be a good mayor, you have to have the head of the chief executive, but the heart of a social worker. And that's what compassion comes in as one of our city values, along with health and lifelong learning. And I always say, you know, the purpose of a city is a platform for human potential to flourish. And we define compassion in our city as respect for every resident. So their human potential is flourishing. So it's an action word. And I've really appreciated uh, during this time of uh, of uh, unrest that people are saying, we say we're a compassionate city. Or, Mayor, you say uh, that you're compassionate. How can this injustice uh, be taking place? And I said, we are imperfect people on an imperfect journey. But that North Star is compassion. That North Star is justice. And the fact that we're calling each other to account for that, I think, is a, a beautiful thing. Uh, one of the uh, protest leaders the other day when I was uh, talking with her was saying that, you know, you've taught the city about compassion and you brought that into the culture of who we are. How do we harness this at this point in time to move to this next stage of justice for a community? So uh, nobody's perfect and the city's not perfect, but if we're moving toward a more perfect place, I think that's uh, progress. So uh, that basic humanity we all share is what's been, highlighted, I think, throughout the marches is that the lack of humanity shown shown toward our African-American community for over four centuries uh, is finally getting the attention that it deserves, in my view. And so, uh, as you know, I'm going to be president of the Conference of Mayors here on July 1st. I'm going to be using that national platform to call for some major changes. Uh, for instance, most of the problems we deal with as a city are related to poverty and poverty too often is in community of colors. We need to be changing our national minimum wage to a national living wage. I think that would change so many things in America. If people could just say, okay, I have enough money, but I know I'm going to have a house, food, health care, education. I got the basics covered. We say we're the richest country in the world. We're not rich if everybody doesn't have that, but if those are explicit choices we're making at governmental levels that are depriving people of those kind of basic living conditions that I think everybody should have. So got to advocate for the national level on that. I uh, will also be advocating for the passage of the House and Senate bills as it relates to the study of reparations and proposals for reparations as well. There is just no way that a uh, thinking person of conscience can justify that white family wealth is 10 times the wealth of black families. What I see in my job 
is that talent is equally spread, but opportunity is not. And that opportunity uh, is because lack of institutional equity, lack of uh, racial equity, and we know that as a country. We just got to have the courage to call it out without shame and just say, this is what we're doing moving forward. Forget all the reasons why it's here in the past, but now it's our opportunity and it's our obligation to move forward. And uh, yeah, as you mentioned, you are taking over the U.S. Conference of Mayors as the president. And I, I wanted, yeah, I wanted to get your thoughts on that because on one hand, cities have had this renaissance moment um, in part because of a lack of federal leadership or even incompetent federal leadership. Uh, and cities have had to, uh, and had the space to rise to the occasion. Uh, on the other hand, we're watching how hard it is to do things like police reform or, um, or equity on a city by city basis across a country of 300 million people. What do you think the role is for cities going forward in trying to address these structural issues? I think just as we have in the past, we have to be the laboratories uh, for change. Oftentimes, you know, people talk about that at this, at the state level, but I think that's true, but more so in today's times, it's happening at the city level where you've got a mass of people that represent the beautiful diversity of our country. And I think the future of our country living together, innovating together, uh, changing the built environment, cleaning up the natural environment. Uh, to me, that's where the bulk of the people look. Look, almost 85% of the country lives in and around cities and over 90% of our GDP comes out of cities. So the unfortunate part of that is most of the big money from a government standpoint you know, starts at the federal level and then state level, and then it trickles down to cities. So when you think about the type of reform that we need in rebuilding America's cities and towns, I mean, it's a trillions of dollar type of project. And we've been deinvesting in our cities from the federal level now for the past 30 years or so. And when you think about some of the tools that we have for housing, for instance, uh, CDBG, the block grants, you know, they should be five times what they are, or 10 times what they are, so that we can really revitalize our cities so that when people uh, drive around the city, they see opportunity everywhere. There's always going to be pl places that are more affluent and less affluent, but there should be a minimum standard of, of living and amenities that everybody should have. So that type of large infusion is going to have to come from America and the 330 million people that we are looking at ourselves and say, we've got to do so much better. Uh, this gap we have in wealth and income in our country is unsustainable. Uh, it's at all-time extremes since the Great Depression. And then we knew that, and then the pandemic struck and illustrated that, and then our racial justice marches uh, came upon us and highlighted it once again. If we don't have the wherewithal and the awareness to move forward on this now, I fear for our country. But I'm hopeful that we are. I can tell you that the mayors of America are ready for that. And I'm hoping for, you know, radicalized, productive mayor movement in the federal level, taking these experiences, taking what we've learned and listened from uh, our people so that we can lead and drive a national movement to a country that's more just and more equitable and importantly, full of more opportunity and innovation for everybody. That's the end result. Of this. Our economy is gonna be stronger and everybody, regardless of skin color, 
but especially black and brown people will feel like they are connected to a bright and hopeful future that they are part of and they, that they own that. That's how we have the strongest America. And you're in a red state and, uh, or uh, maybe maybe a little bit of a, a hint of purple in it. Cities have become like everything else, like mass in a, in a pandemic, a politicized, polarizing issue uh, that the strength of our cities. How do we bring it back um, or how do we have the conversation so that there is the federal investment in cities because they are an economic driver because they are where majority of America lives? How do we change that conversation? And especially in your role as the president of the Conference of Mayors? Yeah, well, first, whoever is in uh, occupant of the White House has to be a unifier, uh, has to speak to our better angels as a country and as individuals and recognizes that diversity is the secret sauce for America's strength. Uh, if, if we, when we pull ourselves together with that kind of direction, uh, from a global competition standpoint, there's nobody that can outperform America. Uh, secondly, uh, and very importantly, is the business community has to rally around these concepts of equity, of calling out systemic racism, of using not just their companies as vehicles for change, but using their companies as pressure points on elected officials to call out the need for this new America, a better America. And that can happen through a variety of lenses that I talk about. One, it can just be a moral lens, right? That people would say it's not right that there's so much disparity in people's lives. Some people don't go down that path. So, but then there's another path of our economy. It's like, we need people prepared for our future. We're going to be a majority minority country in 20 years or so. So you've got to have good workforce. You've got to have people that make enough of money that can support the 70% of GDP that makes up uh, our retail economy here in our country. So it's moral reasons, it's economic reasons, and last, it's public safety reasons. When you get out of balance the way that we are as a country, and capitalism being out of balance, people just aren't going to put up with it anymore. And you see that uh, in a minor degree what's happening uh, on our streets right now in terms of a public safety issue because the vast majority of the demonstrations have been peaceful. But when enough people say there's nothing else that we can do, that becomes a serious public safety issue. So regardless of your lens for coming in this to, to a more equitable America, uh, people need to say we have to make that future for our country. And I think this is a moment for us to really use this as an inflection point to do that. Uh, that's what I intend to do with my year as president of the U.S. Conference of Mayors. And I can tell you there are countless mayors that are excited about doing this as well. And you came from the private sector. You're a successful entrepreneur. Do you think the private sector is ready to, to for, for whether it's practical or moral reasons, engage in more more equality, more equity in, in helping communities that have been left behind? I do. I do. Uh, you know, like any kind of movement, you have some companies that are leading it, and then you have some that are lagging, and then a lot just wondering what to do. So, so much of this is going to depend on leadership, uh, not just of elected officials, but in this point, I'm talking about their colleagues in the business community saying, we've got to figure this out. And we've seen some progress over the last couple of years with advances in uh, living wages and companies, et cetera. But 
now it needs to be deep reflection uh, amongst businesses to say this current state is not working out for us. You saw the business roundtable about a year ago change their mission statement about the purpose of a company. Uh, for some two or three decades, they said the purpose of a company is to maximize profits and shareholder return. Uh, and they changed that to give a broader definition of the purpose of a company that certainly is a financial return, but it's also benefiting their communities and benefiting their employees. So now it's like, okay, bring that to life. Show what that means. Lead with that. We can't default to a, oh, we can't figure out how to do a living wage because it's going to destroy my price point or my competitiveness. There are countries uh, that have people, everyone's at a living wage. Everybody has housing, health care, et cetera. We need to figure out how to be the global leader in that so that when people see the America that they love or they used to think they loved, that they do really see a land of opportunity where we care for each other and we lift each other up. So we have to get there. And one of the, we're going to get there for one of those lenses. I just hope it doesn't take a long time and have a lot of pain between now and then. So it's never been more clear to me, Ryan, that the time to act is right now. And it's going to take all of us just pushing, radically constructive pushing forward, forward, forward to make this happen and create this future that we know everybody deserves, again, especially our minority communities. Thank you for that. Let's, I, I, God, I hope you're right. Uh, when you, when you think about that, um, and you think about that sort of investment, you know, you talked earlier in the podcast about where Louisville would be five years from now, and you thought it'd be a better place, uh, because, because of the marches, because of the new issues that are being raised. What does Louisville in five years look like? And, and then what's that lesson for, for America, that you think that we'll be able to learn from watching that? Uh, our city will be fully actualized the notions around compassion. And you don't have to be an elected leader to lead with your heart. You know, we're all born with love and compassion and wanting to be with each other. So we've got to bring that back to the innocence that we have when we come into the world, but not embrace that innocence as the default way of who we are and make it not empathy, uh, but action. So that's the lens through which we uh, make act, take actions. And again, it's not pity. It's not empathy. It's like, if you do better, I do better. And so what are the systems that we have to change in our country so that everybody can do better? It's an education system that realizes so much of the learning and experiences come out of the classroom and every child should have that opportunity, not just affluent uh, children. Uh, it's, an, it's a city where everybody has stable housing and stable food and stable health care. These things are all achievable through uh, having enough gumption at our federal and state and local levels to pass laws that effectuate this. And it's a city that when the police come into your neighborhood, you welcome your guardians. You welcome them as partners in the co-production of, of safety. Uh, so, the, look, people made these inequitable uh, systems and these inequitable conditions that we live in today so people can unmake them, okay? People learn discrimination. They can unlearn discrimination. But we have to ramp up the leadership opportunities and the awareness, opportun the awareness of these issues. And that's the job we have as mayors or other elected officials to create those uncomfortable con conditions for some folks and realize that when you're uncomfortable, we have an opportunity to expand our consciousness. 
our awareness. And when you do that, you create conditions for yourself to help more people. And I think at the end of the day, that's why we're put on the face of the earth, to make the world a better place, to help other people. That's what's in our hearts when we're born. And I believe America is looking for cities that are, are compassionate, they're equitable, and they're innovative. And Louisville certainly is one of those cities today and will be so even more so in five years. So my last question is, uh, there are folks at home who are frustrated and heartbroken and maybe on the verge or have already given up on politics as a way to effectuate change. Uh, what's your message? If, the, if, the, if your vision for this country resonates with them, or even part of the vision resonates. What's your what's what's an average citizen to do um, to move us in that direction? Be an individual uh, compass uh, for morality and for justice, and think about the world beyond just your interest, uh, especially if you're white, and you see yourself as a individual change agent. And you can obviously start with the human values we talked about, about compassion and kindness and love. And learn your history. Uh, learn why these situations that are unjust are with us today. And ask, why is this history, say the history of black America, and the history of indigenous America, why is that not in our history books? And why can't we bring that back in so our young people can learn this and grow up with different mindsets than what we have right now? And then obviously vote. Uh, yesterday we had the primary in Kentucky. It looks like it was record turnout. So people have got to be engaged with that system as well. And I think if you've got an open mind and you start working on an open heart as well, that, you know, further good interaction comes with that. So they'll get back engaged with folks. You, there's no, you can't disengage uh, unless you're a hermit. Uh, your kids go to school with other kids that don't look like them. You work with people that don't look like you. Uh, so don't worry about always having the right words. If you have the right heart, uh, things will work out just fine. Thank you, Mayor Fisher. It's it's. I mean, I, I feel like just speaking for myself, I've been so hungry for a vision for this country for the last couple of years that's not about dividing us or everyone protecting their own. Um, and I think you've done that in an extraordinary way in Louisville, and I look forward to having you be that voice for cities uh, nationally. It's, it's, I think it's, it's going to be a good thing, and I'm, I'm hoping that you're right in, in where you think we're headed. And uh, I know things are hard uh, right now, but thank you for your work uh, in Louisville. Well, thank you, and we got to all remember things are always harder before they're easier, and things are always darker before they're lighter, but we're, as New Dealers, we're all in the game, and that's the most important thing, that you're on the battlefield and you're making a difference and you look at yourself in the mirror every night and say, I did the best I could and I'm going to get up tomorrow morning and do it again. So as new dealers, we have a tremendous opportunity to affect change in our country and we just need to ramp it up even more. We've got more colleagues with us on this fight than ever before. So Ryan, thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you, Mayor Fisher. Take care. Thanks for listening to an honorable profession. Please subscribe to hear more amazing leaders and keep asking your elected officials to be honorable. Boots Row Group produces podcasts. I'm Ryan Coonerty, and because we keep things honorable, no tax dollars were used in the making of this podcast.